Manor. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to talk about Season 1, Episode 8 of Charmed. The truth is out there, and it hurts. I think you mean the truth is out there, dot dot dot, and it hurts. Okay, so this for this one, I don't know. I don't think it was a bad episode, but it seemed just really middle of the road to me. No, that's a good that's a good way to describe this episode. It it's utilitarian. Um, there was a lot of stuff I liked in it though. So yeah, there there's some good stuff, but there's also a lot of. Oh, it's more Prue and Andy defining their relationship. Yeah, well, the Prue and Andy stuff is particularly weak, not just because, oh, good, we get to talk about what the relationship is again, but also because I feel like this episode really betrays Andy's character, which we will talk about, I'm sure, at length when we get to that. Oh, yeah, we're swerving full into wooden Andy. Yeah, and not just wooden, but his motivations don't make sense to me. Yeah, this doesn't really gel with the guy who was super into occult stuff we saw in episode one. Exactly, exactly. Well, this episode was directed by James A. Contner, who we have not seen yet. This is his first episode, but he's going to go on to direct several more episodes of Charmed, so we'll talk to him again when mm. he comes up. And it was written by Zach Estrin and Chris Levinson, who, again mainstays on charmed and we've actually already seen one of their episodes which was thank you for not morphing oh which was a serviceable if somewhat creepy introduction to the charmed one's dad and i mean they came first to be fair but wildly out of character for the men in the hallowell girls' life <laughs> just throwing that out there mm. so this episode okay not the not the truth plot, not the truth spell plot with Prue, but the monster plot, mm -hmm. I just want to throw this out there before we start, is also the plot of the TV show, the Hulu television show, Future Man. That is accurate. Yeah. Uh, it, it is about a demon who is going back in time, a warlock. Uh-huh. Technically a warlock, who is going back in time to prevent... Someone coming up with an anti-warlock vaccine. I love that they don't get into exactly what an anti-warlock vaccine would even be because it doesn't make sense. Like the second one of them says, wait, I'm sorry, a what? We just have to pause and have explanation for 20 minutes and they don't have time for that in this episode. So they just say that and move on. Yeah, I honestly, I feel like the demon is kind of the weak part of this episode. I mean... There could be a lot of things. They're preventing a plague that demons are working on that will, you know, destroy the future or whatever. I mean, maybe that is what it is, because he really gives us very little information. Like, an anti-warlock vaccine is stupid. We've seen demons moving parts to further certain goals just to spread evil into the world. They could just be working on a regular-ass vaccine. Yeah. Also, this guy didn't need to be from the future. It seemed kind of unnecessary. It's very Terminator, right? I was going to say, it's very Chris. Oh, oh. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a few years when we get there. This is Charmed first dipping its toes into time travel. Yeah, this is the first episode that has any time travel. I should say, since I brought up that this is the plot of Future Man, that it's also the plot of Terminator. Yeah. I mean, I feel like people would be yelling at us if I didn't acknowledge that it's also the plot of Terminator. The future, like, him being from the future seems so unnecessary to this plot, too. He could see the future. He has a third eye. 
He literally has a third eye. Yeah. I just wanted to clarify for them that you weren't throwing that out as a possibility of a way he could see the future. He does, in fact, literally have a third eye. In fact, I think it would have made it it cleaner if he was just, I don't know, an evil version of Phoebe with slightly better powers. Something we will see multiple times in the show. Sometimes it will actually be Phoebe. Mm. Phoebe will morph into an evil version of Phoebe with slightly better powers. (laughs) Let's get started. So we start with several panning shots of San Francisco before cutting to a doctor man going to his car. It is not a healthy thing to be a doctor man and charmed. A doctor man gets Prue killed later in the show. Do you think this is like a magic versus science thing? Or do you think it's just an easy way to bring people into the plot and kill them off? I think it's an easy way. Well, it's an easy way to show that these are good people who are getting killed. Mm. You just have to say doctor and I mean... It's a good shorthand for this is a good person. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. So, especially, especially this doctor, since he is a researcher who's trying to come up with cures for diseases, that definitely reads as this is a good person. Yes, this doctor man is going to his car when he is interrupted by a creepy, creepy guy who's getting all up in his personal space. This is a big episode for people who look kind of like other people. But actually aren't that person. Yeah. Yeah. This whole episode, I was checking actors because I'm like, wait, don't I recognize this guy from... Nope. 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 You do not. You don't recognize him from anything. And honestly, the doctor has a kind of Martin Sheen-ish quality to him. Oh, yeah. Kind of a little. I could see that. Like a poor man's Martin Sheen. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the evil demon slash warlock... Do we get a name for this guy? We do not get a name for him. Oof. Yeah. Unnamed demon. He approaches the doctor guy and he's talking about a paper that this doctor is going to write and a disease that this doctor is going to cure. And the doctor's like, what disease? And the warlock's like, this one! And then shoots a very CGI laser beam at his head and burns a hole in his forehead. Yeah, I just... I have a hard time imagining there's going to be a vaccine that can protect against that sort of thing. Oh, you don't think that there's going to be an anti-hole-in-the-head vaccine developed? Especially because if you consider that what a vaccine is, is like a small, inert form of the virus. So they're going to inject you with a small, inert form of hole-in-the-head? Yeah, they're just going to stab you really gently in the forehead and then you'll be immune. Well, it's acupuncture. That's what you're describing. Yeah. Yeah. In the future, they're going to put everyone into clown cars as children and then crash them so that they'll be immune to car crashes in the future. That's dark. (laughs) This opening is so weird, too, because I, I don't think we get a lot of openings like this on Charmed. I mean, I guess we do. I guess we do get openings where an innocent is killed and then we go into the main story, but... I don't know. This one feels so much more like a procedural. It feels so much less like Charmed than other ones. And I couldn't really put my finger on why. Maybe it's that the innocent is a doctor and not a small blonde woman? Mm. Yeah, there are no blonde women who are either victims or victimizers in this episode. Yeah, that's true. I think that might be a first for this. uh... Although, I I don't know. Did uh, Thank you for not morphing. Would you count the lady sibling who turned into the dog thing? Yeah, 100%. Was she blonde? I think she was. I'm pretty certain she was. Hmm. I'm not going to go back and check, but I'm I'm pretty certain she was. The one with the Sandra uh, Bernhardt-ish quality to her. Yes, she definitely had that. So we cut from the doctor being murdered in a parking lot 
to what I thought was a completely unconnected scene, but apparently not. The movie theater that parking lot is attached to, where the sisters are about to go see Love's Deadly Desire. I should have Googled if that's a real movie. Well, it says that it's a one-night-only movie. Yeah, but I assume that's because it's like a movie from the 1960s that's playing at a at an art house. It does not appear to be... I, I'm Googling it quickly now, and it does not appear to be a actual movie. It is an episode of Murder, She Wrote. But it is the name of an episode of Murder, She Wrote. So I now believe that this is like a theater where they air episodes of Murder, She Wrote, like shadow cast style like a shadow cast acts out the episodes of murder she wrote in front of the screen and they like all shout callbacks out i mean honestly i'd, I'd go to that that sounds I like a lot of fun what that right now actually so the sisters are going to see this movie together and slash possibly episode of murder she wrote slash possible episode of murder she wrote and phoebe is trying to divine the future using a magic eight ball Phoebe is really firing on all cylinders in this episode. I gotta get this it to her. This might be the best Phoebe episode. Definitely the best we've gotten so far. And it's cute, right? Like, she has a magic eight ball, even though she has psychic powers. And when Prue tries to point that out, she's like, yeah, but I can't use my powers for personal gain. Which is a hmm, nice... I wonder if that's gonna come into the plot later. I was gonna say it's a nice compact bit of writing to remind us that you're not allowed to use your powers for personal gain. That rule seems so loose. Do you think Andy, do you think that's why Andy kind of reacts to Prue the way he does in this episode? I think that's a nice way for you to explain it away, but no, I don't. Yeah, I just, I do like the idea that they kind of put forth in the early episodes that you legit can use your powers for personal gain. It just kind of always ends up backfiring on you. See the love uh, spell episode. Or when Phoebe tried to, I mean, it didn't backfire on her, but when Phoebe tried to use her lottery vision to get extra money. Well, I just really wish they hadn't made it a rule because it's the kind of thing that they, they ignore when they don't like it, like in this episode. Mm. Even though they bring it up, they do let Prue cast the spell she's going to cast. And then they invoke it in ridiculous scenarios like Piper helping an innocent is personal gain because she likes him. What, what? At that point, what does personal gain even mean? There's there's an episode much, much later, which we'll talk about when we get there, where Paige... Oh, Paige! Yeah, Paige. Paige orbs the book from the attic downstairs so they can use it to research a demon. And the other two call her out for personal gain, which... How is that even personal gain? I, I always got the impression that using their, like, powers... Not, like, spellcraft, but they could just use their powers for regular stuff. If that's personal gain, then the moment later in this episode where Piper knocks a box of cereal off of the counter and freezes and freezes it is also personal gain. And, as she will bring up later in the show, she uses her power for sex. Oh my. The freezing part, not... She doesn't do the love spell thing again. And not the blowing up part, hopefully, that she gets <laughs> later. <laughs> Oof. No, but we know she uses freezing during sex as she mentions it later, so. That's if he not cool. I mean, you could consent to it. Presumably the guy involved could consent to it, but I, I, you know what? I'm, I'm picturing it and I don't want to be, so let's move on. In case you were unaware, it's the 90s. 
As they are ripping Prue about her love life with Andy... Uh, or lack thereof. Yes, Phoebe is going to use the magic eight ball to find out whether or not Prue's going to get back together with Andy. Piper's pager goes off. I'm sorry, what? I know, right? A pager. What is she? A drug dealer, doctor, or prostitute? Yep, yep. She gets a page, and then she pulls out her giant brick cell phone to return the page. Oh, right. I guess text not a thing so much then. Yeah, text didn't exist yet. Man. Yeah, so she pulls out her phone to call her boss, Martin. Hey, have we ever met Martin before this point? I don't think he's ever even been referenced. I wrote in my notes, wait, who? What is Piper's job? Although, to be fair, this episode is kind of built around answering the question, what is Piper's job? It does seem like sort of a response to that. Yeah, before, Chef Moore hired her. As a sous chef. To be a sous chef. To be a sous chef. Then he quit, and she was the head chef slash running the restaurant? Yeah, she was managing, running front of house, and also apparently head chef. Plus, she did catering. Yeah, and she did the catering. So she's gotten a call that there's an emergency at the restaurant and her boss is making her come in and deal with it. She's going to the parking lot. I guess she's just going to abandon Prue and Phoebe at the movie theater. They can order an Uber when they're done. (laughs) That was a joke. Uber didn't exist yet. Yes. But Phoebe says that she's going to walk Piper to her car because, you know... She says, I'll walk you to your car. It'll be safer. Piper has an active power, Phoebe. Piper is a witch. I know, I know. Piper has, I mean, I guess Prue has the best power if you're being attacked, but Piper has a very solid power if you're being attacked. Yeah, I mean, I think Piper might even have a better power if you're being attacked. Yeah, as we've said before, Prue's power is offensive, Piper's is defensive. And Phoebe's is, Phoebe's is there. Phoebe's is theoretically preventative, although as we've seen up to this point, not so much. Yes, yes. In fact, the reason that Phoebe is walking Piper to her car is so that the script can have her bump into the creepy demon-slash-warlock guy and have a vision of him sending a beam of light through another woman's head. Yes, through, well, through a woman's head. Yes, through, through a woman's head. This is another episode where I feel like Phoebe's premonitions are kind of being a dick. It's not, she's not seeing the next victim. She's seeing the victim after the next victim. She's seeing the victim who's worthy to be saved, I guess? It just reminds me of the John Cho episode where her vision was all about saving some dude from getting hit by a car and not stopping John Cho from getting murdered. Yeah, that wasn't cool. Like, maybe stop John Cho from getting murdered. It it seems like the more pressing thing. Yeah, I, I have nothing to say to that. But Phoebe has had this vision, and they see a cop car arrive, so the sisters run to where the cops are, and they see the guy that we saw in the cold open get his brain grilled out. Yeah, yeah. And Prue says, oh my god, Phoebe saw this murder before it happened! And I wrote in, in my notes- In her magic vision! I know, I wrote in my notes, are you new here? That's what she does! But actually, this isn't the one she saw, and she says, no, no. I saw the next one, which Max, as you pointed out, she didn't. She sees the one after that. Oof. Maybe her powers just understand what she can and can't do, right? They knew that she couldn't save John Cho, but she could annoy a guy into not getting hit by a car. And they know it's going to take her a little while to figure out this warlock, so they gave her some lead time. 
I'm just saying, this is the most proactive, like, season one Phoebe is probably the most proactive when it comes to evil fighting. Come on, Visions, you might want to get on that. <laughs> yeah. Although, the Visions are something, I, we've been talking like there's someone sending her the Visions, but they come from her, I guess. Yeah, I think they're, like, she's literally picking up psychic emanations, right? She gets this one because she bumped into the warlock guy. She gets them when she touches things that are about to happen. So I guess it makes sense that no one would send her the vision of John Cho because she didn't touch anything that would prompt it. Hmm. So this is another Daryl-less credits. He's also not in the episode, though, so. Oh, yeah, it's weird to me that they're changing the credits around. Like, just because he's not in this episode, he should still, the credits should stay the same. He gets referenced in this episode, though, as Morris, which feels weird considering he's, like, the long-runner, non-charmed one, non-love interest in the show. Yeah, yeah. But as of right now, he's just Morris. So, it's morning at the Hallowell Manor. Post-murder morning. Post-murder Well, post-murder morning. This is a very alliterative show. (laughs) Everyone has P names. Yeah, yeah. So, they're having breakfast, and I just want to point out, there are three boxes of cereal, which means that all three girls are eating a different type of cereal. I've talked before about really liking the stage business that this show does, mm-hmm. and this is a really good example of it, because all, all three of the sisters are kind of moving this very rehearsed way through breakfast. Yeah, Piper is making the coffee, Phoebe is getting the cereal out of the cabinet, And Prue has gotten the morning paper, and she's kind of pulling out the sections to divvy them up, presumably to, you know, who wants what. Mm. Um, And this is the point where Piper knocks the box of cereal off the counter. And I noticed, and it was noticeable to me, and it was noticeable enough to other people, that somebody put it in the IMDb trivia section, even though this is absolutely not trivia. But she knocks the box of cereal off of the counter, and instead of picking it back up when she freezes it she puts a trash can underneath it yeah and my thought was ah because picking it up would be personal gain yeah that's true i mean putting the trash can under it is probably also personal gain you're saving yourself some cleanup there yeah but my thought process was that that was the reason she couldn't pick it up it just kind of jooped down real weird but yeah it's yeah, clearly she didn't put the uh, the trash can where the CGI guy drew the cereal box. Yeah, so it kind of does this weird bump thing over to get in, but it's fine. It was probably they had a they had a budget. Come on. Yeah. So uh, Leo pops his head in. Apparently, he's he's very very early in this. Uh, he's the one contractor who shows up very early. Yeah, it's like first thing in the morning and he's already been messing around with the staircase trying to fix it. Yes, he's going to be finished in just a few days, which wrong, but... Uh, well, you know. So the flirt on for Leo is continuing. Uh, Piper's going to bring him some coffee and Prue calls out Phoebe. I appreciate that. Prue tells Phoebe, hey, you're only interested in him because... Piper wants him, so maybe stop being a brat. Yeah. Phoebe denies it, but come on, we all know it's the truth. Yeah. Sorry, Phoebe, but yeah. Instead, Phoebe just changes the subject and asks Prue if there's anything in the paper about the murders, and there is not. 
Also, Phoebe can't really describe the girl in her vision because she was just a bland girl with light brown hair. I honestly kind of thought it was Sabrina's friend from the, not her initial friend from high school, but her second more annoying friend from like the second and third season of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yeah, the 90s version of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, not so, not the chilling adventures of Sabrina. Yeah. I kind of thought it was her, but... It, it... No, I could, it definitely looked like her, but it wasn't her. Yeah. Yeah. Phoebe describes her hair as lightish, which I like. That's what, that's what it was. Also, so I guess that clarifies that while the visions are in black and white for us, the viewer, for Phoebe, they are in color. Yeah. I mean, we knew that she she knew the, well, I was going to say she knew the color of the car that hit that guy in the Oh, yeah, she did. But she could also hold on her visions in that episode. Remember, she uh, writes down the name of the warehouse the mobsters are in by holding on the vision she gets. Yes, yes, she did that too. Maybe she just doesn't care about this girl as much as she cared about avenging John Cho's death. I don't know. Phoebe's pretty proactive in this episode. Yeah, I guess because this is early young Phoebe who cared about magic. Mm. Phoebe asks Prue if they can go ask Andy about this girl. And Prue says that now that she and Andy are broken up, it would be awkward to go ask him about the girl. So, I guess, okay, Prue, since you would have to have an awkward conversation with your ex, I guess we'll just let this girl die then. To Not to be fair, but it would be a little weird to go up to Andy and be like, So, Andy, anybody die in a really weird way recently? Although, God knows he talked about that shit all the time in the few dates we've seen them go on thus far into the series. Also, remember, they all showed up on the scene. It would make sense for them to, like, want to know what had happened. Andy has to be suspicious about how many murder scenes his girlfriend slash ex-girlfriend and her sister show up at. I wonder if he thinks that she's a vigilante or a serial killer. I mean, he definitely thought that they killed Javna. Yeah, yeah, he definitely did. It's the only explanation. So, up in the attic, Prue is looking through the Book of Shadows, trying to find something about the demon. And she can't find anything about the demon, but the book keeps flipping itself to a truth spell. Oh my god, Grams is such a jackass. No, I wanted to bring that up, because the show has not yet... Because we know, as viewers of the show, and some of our listeners might know as viewers of the show, but the show hasn't established yet... That it is the ghost of their grandmother who is flipping those pages for them when the pages flip. So it's their grandmother who keeps flipping that book open to the truth spell to try to make Prue see it. And given that we know that Grams is not a huge fan of men or having men in your life as a witch, I can't help but wonder if she did that assuming that it would tank Prue's relationship with Andy. I mean... This is relying on a lot of knowledge of Grams that was definitely not in the show Bible yet. By the way, how much would you love the show Bible for Charm? Oh my god, I would love to have the show Bible for Charm. I wish they just released show Bibles after a show is done. I've been thinking about this for a while, especially because I've been listening to the Office Ladies podcast, which mm-hmm. is a podcast that Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey do about being on The Office. And apparently, when The Office was over, Jenna Fisher stole The Office show Bible, so she has that at her house. And I was thinking, I mean, there are enough people like us who would want things like that. They should publish them and sell them. Yeah, after a show's done, I mean, why why are you hiding it? Seriously, you could make... Shut up and take my money! Seriously. So, 
I do also, I don't think this sticks, but I do like the fact that the Book of Shadows in this episode is split into sections. We see Prue turn to a demon section and it flips back to a spell section. I don't think that the book is segmented like that later. It definitely is not. We're talking about the show Bible. You know, we could break down and buy... The official, uh... The official charmed Book of Shadows that they made. Ooh. That is a replica of the book they used, so it has all of the pages and everything. Huh. Intriguing. I wonder if, uh, Cole's page has the changes Phoebe made to it, where she just glued in all of those weird Sears pictures of, uh julian mcmahon it does as somebody was posting somebody in a reddit group that i'm on a reddit subgroup what do they call them reddit subgroups or whatever subreddits yeah someone in the charmed subreddit just got it and was posting pictures of the inside of it and yes it does have the cole page god yes the sears it's, it's not sears it's a uh, it's a photo booth the photo booth pictures are in there but they're not a separate thing that slips in there they're just drawn in there hmm. that makes sense yeah the book's pricey, but probably not pricey enough to have, like, extras stuffed in there. Oh, I had this uh, book when I was a kid. The Brian Fruit Fairy book? No. Oh, sorry. The Brian Fruit Fairy book has stuff like letters and things slipped into it, and it's the coolest thing ever. Sorry, which book did you have? It was a William Joyce book about Santa Claus. Uh-huh. That, uh, it, it's about these kids who go to visit Santa Claus, and they get involved in this war. Uh, Santa war? With this, like, dark elf lady. Uh-huh it's William Joyce books are beautiful it was beautifully illustrated but the thing about it was that it had all of these extra bits like there are there are letters and they're attached in the book like there are envelopes that are kind of attached into the book and you could open them up and take out the letters which were separate yeah that's how the Brian Fruit Fairy book was yeah it was the coolest thing in the universe when I was a kid there should be more books like that. Uh, I'm sure I lost all the letters, like, immediately, but... Oh, I was always paranoid with my books like that, so... But anyway, Quake, where uh, Piper is doing seven million people's jobs at once. Yeah, she's actually doing the bookkeeping, so, like, add that to another thing that she does. And she's doing the bookkeeping at the bar... She's also bartending. She is bartending and bookkeeping, and neither one of these things are her jobs. And the manager comes to yell at her for... The manager we haven't seen before now. I guess the owner. Yeah. The owner comes to yell at her for doing the bookkeeping at the bar instead of in her office, and she's like, you took my office! Okay, so this guy's name is Martin, and he's apparently been on vacation for three weeks, and he just got back. Are we supposed to think that she got hired three weeks ago? I think, yes, that's what we're supposed to think. That massively does not fit in with the timeline of this show at this point. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't at all. Also, he says to her, you know, I, I leave for three weeks and everything goes to hell. And it's like, well, that's not her fault. That's the fault of the chef you hired who quit with no notice. Also, uh, well, as we'll find out later, he's just having her do all of these jobs, so. I feel like this is the first gay character we have on Charmed, isn't it? I mean, he's not... Explicitly gay? Yeah. He's not, but he's definitely coded as gay. Yeah, yeah. And it's not great. It's a, it's It's not great. I, he, no, it's not. It, it's so over the top, though. And, I mean, I'll be the first to say that capitalism is terrible. 
And this is exactly what capitalists do. They try to avoid hiring more people if they know that they can push you to your breaking point. Mm. But clearly, clearly this is over the top. The whole thing's just bad. So Piper tells Martin that she can't do all of these people's jobs. He's like, hey, shut up. Of course you can. And then he turns around and leaves and she's like, well, I guess I have to do all these people's jobs. Yep. Then we cut to Prue's office where Phoebe has shown up to borrow Prue's laptop. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, wow, I didn't realize you knew how to use computers, which is another weird, hey, look, it's the 90s thing. Yeah. It's like, did you did you think she knew how to breathe? <laughs> so uh, Phoebe did go to the police station to ask around and... Prue's like, oh, did you talk to Morris? And she's like, I didn't need to talk to Morris. I talked to, I, I just, I listened and all the cops were talking about the fresh new murder. And she's like, oh, did you, you didn't see Andy then? And Phoebe's like, of course I fucking saw Andy. She's like, he looked hurt just like you do right now. Maybe you two should bone. I'm sick of this. Just... Either fully break up with Andy or get together with him. Just tell him you're a witch. Like, what's the worst case scenario? And Prue's like, I don't know what the worst case scenario is, but it it, it can't, I can't, I can't do it. I can't tell him that I'm a witch. And Phoebe's like, ugh. To be fair to Prue, in another episode that also has time travel, someone will again ask the question, what would be the worst thing that would happen if I told them I was a witch? And it ends with Phoebe being burned at the stake. So... To be fair. So Phoebe is so disgusted by Prue's stupid relationship drama that she books it out of her office just in time to miss the lady from her vision who is the office sandwich lady. Uh, So she has like a sandwich delivery cart, but I don't think she works for the office. I think she works for like a restaurant and Uh. she goes around selling sandwiches. Now. What a weird job. People do that. I wish sandwich people would come to my office. That'd be nice. Mm, yeah. I mean, I work downtown, so people don't do that where I work because there's so many places you can go. Now... I don't. Like, you could probably make bank doing that in my office block. Yeah. I, I know where you work. Your office block is like all offices with very few places to go grab lunch. Yeah. Someone should be taking advantage of that. I'm leaving money on the table there. Seriously. Now, the YouTuber Allison Pregler, who uh, has that channel, Movie Nights, mm-hmm. she does charmed videos. Yes. And her videos are great. So, a lot of times we don't talk about the same types of things that she talks about because you definitely don't want to, like, invite the comparison. Her videos are great. Yes, you should watch them. They're hilarious. As a result, one of the things that we usually don't talk a lot about is how ridiculous people's outfits are. Mm. But Prue is in the office. She's at work. And she's wearing a knit, like, it's not even a crop top. It's like a bandeau bra. Like, with with a hoodie over it. What is she doing? I'm honest to God, I admire this woman's commitment to knitwear. How often do you see knit tube tops? It's like, I don't even want to call it a tube top because... There's not enough going on for it to be a tube. It just covers her breasts. And it's like, I I know some, and I know Prue at some point someone told you that sweater sets are appropriate for the office, but it has to be a full sweater. It's just, okay, 
It's, See, it can't just be a third of a sweater. No, but the thing is, she's wearing she's wearing a sweater, and then she's wearing a wool. I don't know. I I don't know what you would call it. Breast wrap. I I don't think there's even a word for what it is. It's like yeah, it's like a belly tube top. I can't I can't even with what she's wearing. But she's wearing it at the office, and the fact that it has a matching sweater that goes with it. Which, by the way, is not really, it's not a cardigan, it's a hoodie. So it's already too casual for the office. Not to, like, harp on Buckland's dress code, but what are you doing, Prue? But then she goes home, changes into a different sweatshirt and tank top combination to cast the truth spell. Yeah, theoretically what she's wearing, what she changes into is more casual, but it covers more skin. But yes, she decides, alright, fuck it, I'm just gonna cast the truth spell. And she casts a spell that makes it so that for the next 24 hours, everyone who's in the house will speak the truth when they're asked questions. Mm. And anyone they ask a question to will answer honestly. She thinks she's alone in the house, although I don't know why she thinks she's alone in the house. Seriously. But she is wrong. Phoebe and Piper are downstairs, so now they are affected by the spell too. She picks up the giant-ass wireless phone she had next to her during this spell to call Andy because she needs to ask him, hey, if I was a witch, would that blow up our relationship or what? Yep. And she tells him to call her back right away, preferably within the next 24 hours. Hmm. That's not suspicious. Oh, did I say the thing about how people will forget what they've talked about after those 24 hours have elapsed? No, this is such a specific spell. Yes, so she can tell Andy she's a witch. Ask him how he feels about that. He will respond to her honestly, and then when the 24 hours have elapsed, he will forget that conversation. That's a super convenient spell. I mean, I guess I can see the upside to it. Yeah, it's very useful. They actually, This is a spell that they actually will repeat, though. They'll use it again. Really? Yeah, yeah. Huh. So we cut from that to a research assistant at a lab who is working there all by his lonesome, this is not going to end well for you, buddy. Nope. No, it is not. He is, uh, he is doing some research on some soil samples from Zimbabwe, and the warlock time-traveling demon shows up to let him know that his research is going to be more successful than he could ever dream, except not really, because that guy's going to kill him before he can do anything. Okay, so this is another thing where I was like, I really wish that this was just an anti-Phoebe guy, someone who saw people who were going to do great things in the future and killed them before it happened. I feel like that would have worked much better for this because this seems kind of unrelated to the vaccine. Like, he talks about the soil sample thing, and then he's like, ah, but someday your research will lead to a vaccine. Well, okay, so so what we find out is that the soil sample stuff and the vaccine stuff are in fact unrelated and it's going to be a third person that he's tracking down who figures out how they go together and uses that information to stop warlocks okay okay but it's too complicated for as little exposition as it gets yeah this seems like it's too complicated for no reason it's not that complicated but I mean... 
It it's could not... have been simple. There, there was no reason for it to be. Yes, they're making it more complicated than it needs to be, and it doesn't feel fleshed out. Yeah, and also, if you killed these two guys, it feels like you've done enough to kind of disrupt the making of this vaccine anyway. Yeah, yeah, probably. Ugh. I mean, I get wanting to be thorough or whatever, but... Yeah, yeah. Back at the Hallowell Manor, Prue asks Piper to confirm that the coffee she's preparing is in fact caffeinated, and Piper's like, no, you know what? It's never caffeinated because you're the only one who drinks caffeine, bitch. I'm not going to make two pots. And really? Prue's the only one who drinks caffeine? You're telling me Piper is not caffeinated? That's what I wrote in my notes. (sighs) Also... You have three boxes of cereal. You can't make two pots of coffee? Come on. Also, you gave her decaf when she wanted caffeine? You monster. See, I I didn't think that she... I didn't think that she was making decaf. I thought that... I don't know, just the way that she's like, I like unleaded, but you like... She... uh, Prue actually asked if it's high test and... Piper says you're the only one who drinks diesel. I took that to mean caffeinated versus decaf, but I don't know. Maybe Prue just likes hers really, really strong. But in that case, she should be able to taste the difference. So that doesn't make sense. It only makes sense if the difference is caffeinated versus uncaffeinated. Yeah, it's a weird metaphor for that, but... It's a commonly used one. Really? The... The leaded and unleaded, yeah. Well, I mean the high test and unleaded. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. Yeah. So. So Leo pops in. He's like, hey, I'm just repairing more stuff out there. I'm uh, I'm going to do more repairs. Just being a handyman. Just a man being handy. And, and he turns over. He turns, you know, he pops out. He was just reminding us that he's a person who exists. And Phoebe's like, boy, do I want to bone him, but only to spite Piper. Wait a sec. I normally, I normally just think that, but I, now I said it out loud. What's going on here? I do like how quickly people catch on to what's going on in this episode, both here and then later with the time traveler. Piper and Phoebe are both like, wait a second, Prue, did you fucking cast a truth spell on us? Yeah, because, I mean, Piper normally just thinks the thing about not giving her, <laughs> about giving her decaf, my word, Piper. That's mean. I'm, I'm not okay with that. I'm really not. So. I do love how excited Phoebe is that Prue's being bad by going around casting spells for personal gain. Hey, if there's one thing a bad girl likes, it's a good girl gone bad. And Prue's like, you don't understand. I thought I was alone in the house. And, you know, I didn't think other people would be affected by it. And Piper's like, well, I mean, you talk to us, we still would have been affected by the truth spell. And Prue's like, Oh, that's uh... true. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Well, whatever. It doesn't matter. The point is, the spell cat is out of the It's Happening bag. Speaking of, Kit Watch 2020, Kit is not in this episode. I was gonna say. Yeah, there's no Kit in this episode. So, Piper's like, Oh, okay, we can't leave the house. We can't lie. We have to tell everyone the truth. Why would that be part of the spell? Like, ah, we, we, we can't interact with the world at large. And 
He was like, nah, go on, go to work. Go to work and tell the boss how much he sucks. Well, here's the thing. It's not like these girls are the height of tact. Mm. I don't know that the world is going to be that much different for them now that they're forced to tell the truth. And everyone forgets any new information they learned under the curse, which I think I, I do like that it's a very specific caveat that they only forget the information they find out because of the spell. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, let them just go about your day. It's going to be fine. I mean, Andy's still probably going to lose some fairly large chunks of time, but... Eh, whatever. He's probably used to it by now. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, Andy. Speaking of, Phoebe's like, ooh, and I actually really like this line. She she gets very excited, and she says she knows how to find the girl now. And Piper asks her if she had a vision, and she says no, an epiphany, and then runs out of the house. <laughs> so she goes straight to the police station, barges to Andy's desk, and just starts interrogating him. She interrupts him every time he tries to ask her a question. It's great. Every time he starts to be like, wait, I definitely shouldn't be telling you this stuff. She's like, all right, so who's dead? Who do you think did it? What are all your clues? And he tells her about the dead lab technician. Mm -hmm. And he tells her a, a thing that we saw, which is that the time-traveling warlock lost a button while he was in the lab. And he tells us what we don't know, which is that that button is made out of an alloy that no one has ever seen before. Mm. And I started to write down, like, is that really what we're going to do with future alloys in the future? And then I realized, yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do. Yeah. So I, I, I took that back. It, it would be like the equivalent of if you traveled back to the Victorian era and you, you like, popped a plastic button. Yeah, I would totally mess with any Victorian people who weren't high on opium. Yes, or laudanum. Or laudanum. So I do love how she just keeps on interrupting him whenever he tries to a ask a question. And then she's like, by the way, call Prue. Later, Tater. I like how he's completely beaten down by the end of the questioning. He's just like, okay. Sure. Whatever. And he, he is cowed, because as soon as she walks out, he immediately does, in fact, call Prue. Yeah, at her desk, which has a picture of her and Andy, someone who she very recently kind of broke up with, or was broken up with by... Yeah, it's weird that she would keep that on her desk. I guess he only quasi-dumped her? No, he definitely, absolutely real-world dumped her, and she's very sad about it. Like, does, is this picture not making her sad to have around? Uh, Whatever. <laughs> she has wind chimes on her desk. That's weird. Oh, I like the wind chimes. They're like mini wind chimes. Yeah. It seems like an appropriate desk toy. So the sandwich lady and Hannah both barge into Prue's office. And Hannah takes the last turkey sandwich. The sandwich girl, whose name is Tanya, says, I was saving that for Prue. And Tanya's like, well, I'm going to buy it. And Prue's like, why are you such a bitch? And, ha and Hannah's like, because it is my life's goal to destroy you and all you hold dear. And Prue has no follow-up questions to that. Well, I think she takes it figuratively. Like, oh, this is my office rival. A woman I work with who doesn't like me. As opposed to the literal way she meant it, which is, I am a demon. And it is literally my mission that has been given to me by my leader to destroy you. Rex walks in, though, and he overhears this and is like, Okay, well, women, what's she gonna do, right? Let's go. And he, like, ushers Hannah out of the office very quickly, and uh, Tanya quickly leaves behind them. 
And I have to point out, Hannah took the sandwich, didn't pay Tanya, and Tanya left before Prue got anything. That's true. Prue got no sandwiches out of this. I think that's kind of why I assumed that Tanya was, I don't know, some sort of sandwich delivery person for the office, like a gopher? No, no, she's she's clearly selling the sandwiches. There's a guy in my office, but he's a co-worker, whose mom makes tamales and sometimes he sells them in the office. But I feel like that's the closest I got to this sort of thing. It's a pretty normal thing. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I, this is my... I, I've been working at the office for a while, but it's my first—it's my first real office job, which I've had for over five years. But uh-huh. I guess it's just not something I'm used to. Does the does the Blue Mountain Man come to you? No, no. Who who's the Blue Mountain Man? Oh, uh, so Blue Mountain is like a Pacific Northwest brand of like snack food. It's it started off as just trail mix, but now it's all sorts of snack foods, mm-hmm. and. Um, they the the people who sell that go from office to office around here so he, you're not on his his route no honest to god i would love that and it's kind of overpriced i mean sometimes food trucks not at our new location but at our old location sometimes food trucks would come by uh-huh. but that was like a big thing we get emails about it and stuff there's not like a regular place i mean there's a starbucks that's not too far away but i'm just so spoiled working downtown i just really am yeah get any kind of food a stone throw away from your office yeah you really can and there's like an amazing sushi restaurant in the office i work in mm. i mean not in the, in the building in the office building i work in yeah so anyway rex and hannah yeah so rex drags hannah into his office and is like um why did you just tell prue that we're demons who are trying to take her down and hannah's like i don't know okay why did it not even occur to them that it might be magic right like they know magic right i'm so confused well speaking of things that will be running things for the rest of this show magic people never seem to assume that magic could be involved whenever anyone starts acting weirdly or out of character i i don't have a lot of patience for that i'll tell you the truth Really what all of Hannah's scenes sell me on is that she should have been the big bad for season one. She's a much better bad than Rex. Yeah, Rex sucks. So he's like, say you're sorry. And she's like, I'm sorry. Then he has her light his cigar by blowing on it. Well, that's mostly so that we, the audience who are maybe not watching every episode, know that she's a demon. Meanwhile, Piper is doing so much work, you guys. Yeah, she's sitting in the sunroom at her house, but she's doing the books at home because Martin made her take the books home when she left Quake last night. But also, he's just called her and told her now she has to come in and work as a sous chef or front of house or something. I don't know. I don't know. And Piper is distracted because Leo comes in with something on his shirt and is like, hey... Can I take off my shirt in your house and, like, get it clean? Okay, so I sort of assumed that this was going to lead into Leo taking his shirt off because we've been watching Riverdale, and it seems like every situation in Riverdale leads to someone taking their shirt off. I was thinking that this was going to lead to Leo getting outed as a white lighter. Oh, yeah, that's, that's still a long ways coming. It's so weird that... 
everyone's under a truth spell and it doesn't come out that he's an angel. Spoiler alert, Leo's an angel. Yeah, or something like that. So Piper's like, oh, right, truth spell. Hey, Leo, you want a doink? And he's like, sure, I love doinking. I doinked your grandma once. And she's like, what? And he's like, don't worry about it. Yep, yeah, she grabs him and she uh, kisses him. And then he grabs her and kisses her. And it's all very exciting for all of those Leo Piper shippers out there. Tongues all around. Yes, yes. Meanwhile, back at Buckland's... Prue is having a conversation with Rex in which she nearly outs herself as a witch, but Phoebe comes up and she's like, you know, if you interrupt someone, it doesn't count as you telling someone else that you're a witch, even if that person's a demon who should really figure out where that sentence was going from the setup. Also, I'm really concerned that you are about to out yourself as a witch, even though we've established that you're totally going to forget all of this. But really, this was just an excuse for me to come to your office so I could see the sandwich girl and have another vision of her getting murdered because apparently I wouldn't have remembered the first vision. So, uh. Sure. So, yeah, it turns out that the sandwich girl is the girl from the vision, as we mentioned earlier. And she gets on the elevator. Phoebe tries to follow her onto the elevator, but the evil demon guy is there and he... Hits the door close button. Oh no. Yep, so. Evil warlock guy. I'm pretty sure he's a warlock. They call him a demon and a warlock interchangeably in this episode, even though warlocks and demons are not the same thing. Seriously. And I don't know, what do you think would be the clear distinction between a demon and a warlock? I mean, I know power source wise what the difference yeah, is. That's a, yeah. But I feel like his. Normally, physical things are what differentiates demons from warlocks. You know, Javna was a demon because, uh, you know, he needed to suck youth out of others to maintain his human form. Those demon women, uh, the bride and bridesmaids in the wedding episode had demon forms. Uh, But they don't tend to have demon forms later. Higher level demons are just human looking all the time. Well, I mean, they're not, right? Balthazar doesn't look like a human. Yeah, and the source of all evil doesn't look human, but, I mean, honestly, it's because they get lazier later in the show, and it's just, you know, demons are people wearing black. But earlier in the show, warlocks seemed more low-rent than demons, and this guy seems sort of like he has a power that gives him that third eye that shoots lasers. Okay, well, so I think the deal is that demons are demons. Like, that's what they are. It's part of their nature. And warlocks are humans who have made deals with demons and have gotten demonic powers. Yes, that, that is what we've seen thus far. Right. So the difference is not one that we, from the outside, can actually tell. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it kind of stops mattering after a while because both demons and warlocks get new powers by killing witches. Also, it's okay to kill either of them, morally speaking, so it's fine. We don't need a distinction. Yes, but to be clear... When they are killing warlocks, they are killing regular human people. Yes. Who happen to get superpowers through making deals with demons and or murdering witches. Yes, that that is correct. Whereas demons were never human, except sometimes they were, because later we see people who work to become demons, which you would think would make them warlocks, but... Also, if white lighters are humans before they become white lighters then it would make sense that demons were humans before they became demons 
But honestly, the cosmology in this show is just totally jacked up. And God knows where dark lighters come from. Oh my God, dark lighters! We don't have time to get into dark lighters this episode. Okay, although I do. No, you know what? I'll I'll save it because I honestly I I can't give New Charmed a lot of compliments, but I do genuinely like what they do with dark lighters in New Charmed. Yeah, maybe we'll have to. I I guess I just need to watch New Charmed. Do we, though? I think we do. Okay. So, anyway. The warlock throws Tanya down onto a car hood, and he rips off her sunglasses because I guess he can't do the brain melty thing while she's wearing sunglasses. Okay, speaking of people who have no gift of fear, while they were in the elevator together, the warlock is like, You're Tanya, aren't you? I've been looking for you. You're a very hard woman to get alone. And yet, for some reason, elevator full of people, she's like, Oh, I'll have a private conversation with this guy next to my car. Okay, no, no, no. We, we, she's not having a conversation with him next to her car. We see them next to the car after he's already gotten control of her. I assume she was trying to run away from him. And, and no I, one in the elevator did anything. Okay, so we cut away from all of that to watch Prue and Phoebe running to the stairwell because they can't get to the elevator. And I had not thought about it before but I think we can assume that he kills everyone in the elevator. Really? Yeah. I feel like we would have heard about it if he did. I'm more willing to bet that all of the guys in the elevator were like, oh, well, it seems like her problem. I mean, maybe everyone ran away. Or bystander effect or what? Okay, it... the bystander effect isn't real. Okay. That That's not a real thing. Um, but I... There's there's a chunk of the fight sequence missing here, but we can assume that whatever went down in the elevator was a fight, that she ran to her car, that he caught her there. I don't know. I don't get why they had him talking to her in the elevator that should have tipped her off, or why she would go running for the car instead of for more people. Well, that's what made me think he killed everyone in the elevator. But if he killed everyone in the in the elevator, why does he get scared off by, like, he makes a deal about him only being able to kill people when they're alone. He waits until Prue's the last one in the office before he attacks her later. You're right. All these fight sequences make no sense. I, I, I don't know what to say. Like, it, I, I mean, cutting to Prue and Phoebe in the stairwell was a cheat. It was a cheat so that we could get them alone in a fight sequence, even though last time we saw them, they were surrounded by people. I mean, this is the thing with the guy, where if we had just seen him in the elevator with her and he hadn't said anything, then it would make sense that, oh, okay, he just followed her out of the elevator and to her car. But he had a conversation with her that should have sent warning signs ablazing, unless she's, which I guess is possible, the most oblivious person on the face of the planet. Which I don't think is what happened. So, yeah, okay. I, I don't I don't know what to tell you. I mean, we're probably over-focusing on something that doesn't really matter at all in the scheme of the narrative. Phoebe, I love, I love it. Prue got some security guys, but before Prue and the security guys show up, Phoebe just runs, picks up a bottle and smashes it over his head as he's eye-beaming her yeah and it distracts him enough that he stops eye beaming and prue shows up with the security guys and like you said he ran away like a big scared demonic bunny rabbit yeah i mean 
not to like harp on the way this episode was constructed, but my question was, why was he there? It seems like a big coincidence that he was at Prue's building, when this is a girl that goes from building to building, and how did he know where she was going to be? Yeah, he talks about how hard it was to track her down. Yeah. Just, just throwing that out there, too. Also, shouldn't he know Rex and Hannah are, like, the demons? This they're... seems like a this seems like the worst place you could possibly try to catch her. I mean, I know they're all on Team Evil, I guess, but I feel like Rex and Hannah would be pissed that someone was freelance eviling on their property. Yeah, yeah. They've got their evil territory marked. Anyway, they save Tanya and they bring her back to the manor, and... Tanya, for some reason, doesn't believe that demons exist. She's calling her husband to let him know that she's okay, which, why would he not think that you were okay? Right? Anyway, she also asks Phoebe what's going on, and because Phoebe's under a true spell, Phoebe's like, oh, a demon. It was a demon, and you're in danger, so now you have to stay with me because I'm a witch. And... And Tanya's like, uh, you're crazy, and... Phoebe's like, did you not see the guy who had a third eye open in the middle of his forehead and then drill into your brain using lasers that shot out of that third eye? I mean, she's got a little burn on her forehead. I, I, I don't, I don't. And now Phoebe's having to convince her she's in danger. I feel like the danger is self-evident. She gives this weird speech because Tanya's like, uh, I don't believe you, I'm leaving. And Phoebe's like, hey, hey, I have visions of people, people I see that, ne- that need help. And I saw you, and you need me, and you need my protection. So stay in my house and don't fucking tell anyone. And Tanya's like, oh, okay, I guess I believe you now. Why did you not believe her? A guy shot a goddamn laser beam into your forehead. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Back at Quake, Piper has gotten off the phone with, I don't know, either Phoebe or Prue. And has found out what happened, so she tells Martin she's got to go because she's a family emergency. And Martin's like, um, no, I'm your boss. And I said no. And Piper's like, why are you so terrible? Yeah, Piper's like, what the fuck, dude? You've got me doing, like, every job in the restaurant. He's like, yeah, that way I only have to pay you. And she's like, I can't do this many jobs. And he's like, but you are. And I only have to pay one person, so, yeah. You know what? I'm just going to keep forcing you to do all this and you're going to keep doing it because that's the kind of suck-up pushover you are. He also says that they lost a sous chef and so she needs to stay in sous chef for a while, which you'll remember is the thing that she was actually hired to do. And I wrote in my notes, why don't you hire a new sous chef? And then when Piper storms off, he can do everything. And then I thought, oh, oh, I guess that's what this guy does. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, we know what drove Chef Moore out now, so. Yeah, I... You know, we've been, maybe we've been too hard on Chef Moore. Maybe everything makes sense now. So, the demon guy goes back into the building. He goes back into Buckland's to follow Prue and kill her. But then he sees Inspector Andy in her office and he's like, oh... I can't kill this incredibly powerful witch if some dude is in her office. Also, he presumably walked past the security guards that Prue originally brought after him. Why did they not, like, 
they didn't chase him at all? Like, they just let him run away after he stopped shooting laser beams at that lady? You know, Max, none of this was bothering me when I was watching the episode the first time. I'm sorry. Honest to God, I, I none of this was bothering me that much either, but it's just going over it. it he's by far the weakest part of this episode. It, and I thought the weakest part of the episode was the rehash of Prue and Andy's stuff. No, it's it's true. The logic of, like, if you just go with it, if you just go with what's happening, it's fine. But you're right. If you stop to think about it for a second, if you stop for a second to think about what exactly is this plan, how exactly does this anti-warlock vaccine work, or how exactly is he getting where he needs to get time travel-wise, like, whenever you think about things, it's like, that doesn't make sense. Which is always a pitfall with time travel stories, I'll tell you. Well, I mean, I feel like, honest to God, like a couple of rewrites would have made this so much better. I think that's true with all time travel stories all the time, everywhere, though. I mean, I feel like cutting the time travel aspect out of the story altogether would have made it work better, but... Yeah, that definitely would have helped. It's true. It's true. But... He is scared away, so that's something. Yeah. Meanwhile, in Prue's office, she's talking to Inspector Andy, and she tells him that she is a witch, and asks him how he feels about it. And he's not sure how he feels about it, especially since all of her sisters are witches, and also all of her children, if they're female, will also be witches. Yeah, she says if if they're male, they will be mortal. Which we know is not true. Which is aggressively not true. But whatever. Why does she think that? I think that might have been what they were saying at this point in the story before, uh, you know, Wyatt came along. Yeah, I I guess. I mean, when we... The only time we see... Yeah, I, I guess White is the first male Hollowell to be born in generations. Yeah, and, and we haven't seen any male witches at this point. Mm. Yeah. Actually, we haven't seen any uh, half-mortal half-witch. Oh, that's true. We haven't. Men. Yes. Uh, obviously, the sisters are half-mortal. Yes. Yes. You know, I think all of... Grams's husbands were mortal, weren't they? Well, I mean, at this point, they're still saying that only women are witches, so all witches are half-mortal. Yeah. Huh. You know, it's another thing that wasn't all fleshed out at this point, but at least this one will get fleshed out. Yeah. And Andy has this weird non-reaction to it, where he's like... Have you tried not being a witch? Yeah, he doesn't seem surprised that witches exist, He doesn't seem all that freaked out that she has powers. He's he's just like, huh, I don't know, Prue. I don't know about this witch thing. I don't know. I'm not sure I could be in a relationship with a witch. And she's like, for any particular reason, he's like, why don't you give me a 24-hour window to think about this? And she's like, "Uh." She's like, you can have 12 because that's how long I cast the spell for. Awesome. I... As I said at the beginning, Andy was the one who was on board with the concept of witches earlier. Ever since the Dream Sorcerer episode, I feel like he's kind of known. And to act now like he's so surprised and he doesn't know how to respond, like this isn't a thing that's at least occurred to him before, seems like a betrayal of the intelligence of Inspector Andy. And 
Well, the thing is, it doesn't really seem like he's surprised so much as mildly perturbed by the fact that she's a witch. And not just that she's a witch, but... That witches exist? No, mildly perturbed at the thought that his children will be witches if he marries her. That's That's his sticking point. Yeah, I... It's such a strange objection to draw. Also, he's... I mean, points for him for just being like, oh, okay, witches exist. Neat. Well, I mean, I'm just going to bring up, since this is the same writing team that brought us Thank You for Not Morphine, mm. maybe they just don't understand how parent-children relationships work. <laughs> I don't know, Prue. If, if I had a guarantee that all our kids would be mortal, I'd be all in it. <sighs> or that they'd all be wi- I don't know. I, it's... I don't get what Andy's reaction is supposed to be, though. I just think these writers think all men are Darren Stevens. I mean... And early on, we we talked a lot about how much we didn't really remember Andy, about how Andy was this, like... Nothing burger? Yeah, but how that didn't seem to be the case in the first few episodes, how he was all energetic and engaged, and he was, he was a high point of... It seems too early to be saying this, but he was a high point of the early episodes. They managed to disengage us. I, he's just... It's like he's a ball of wax. <laughs> like, he he's having no reactions. I don't know what his emotional state is supposed to be. And it doesn't work. Like, he should be angry or upset or he should be having a more visceral reaction. He should be having a more visceral reaction to this. Yes, or be okay with it, which is what I think he should be. Yeah. But, I mean, then there would be... No conflict? I would be fine with there being no conflict in the Prue-Andy relationship because I'm really sick of defining the Prue-Andy relationship. Or even if Andy was okay with it and Prue was like, oh, I was using that as an, I was just using that as an excuse because I don't know what my feelings towards Andy are. It would be more of the stupid defining the relationship thing, but at least it would make sense. Just bring him into the secret. I mean, that's the problem with shows that run off these kind of secrets anyway. It is. It really is. Like, at some point, it's just an extra unnecessary thing. So, back at the Hallowell Manor, Tanya is flipping through the Book of Shadows, trying to see the demon that attacked her, since, you know, they can't find the demon. We did not be helpful at all, Grams. Well, the demon isn't in the Book of Shadows, because the demon is from the future. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, point. Solid point. So, Phoebe reaches out towards Tanya, and she has a vision and realizes what Tanya doesn't know, which is that she is pregnant. And it is not her who is going to come up with the anti-warlock vaccine, but in fact, her child. This episode was written by men, wasn't it? Let me tell you, I put in my notes, I'm not a super fan of the idea that that there are two male scientists being hunted and a woman whose value is the child that she bears. Mm. I recognize that this is also the plot of Terminator, where I am somehow much more okay with it. I don't know why. Maybe because Sarah Connor is kick-ass and awesome. Yeah, I was about to say, because Sarah Connor did 7 billion chin-ups and then shoved a robot into a vat of acid. Well, that happens in Terminator 2. Ah. In Terminator 1, she's mostly just running around, and then she has sex with the guy from the future who impregnates her. Mm. (laughs) 
Uh, I know. He's lucky that that didn't end up being a long shot Shatterstar situation. Where? Oh. Oh. Okay. So, this is one of the weirder X-Men things. Uh Uh-huh. All right. So. Is it in a Roboro situation? Yes. Longshot is a clone of Shatterstar. Right. Shatterstar is Longshot's son with Dazzler. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So. Well, this is even weirder. Okay. Because. Weirder than being a clone of your own child? Yes. Yes. I'm going to say it is weirder than being a clone of your own child. Okay. It's weirder because John Connor knew that Reese was his father when he sent him back in time to impregnate his mother. Like, he already knew what was up. It's pretty weird. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Also, I know I said earlier that time travel stories basically always need a second draft. Mm-hmm. Terminator is a great time travel story. Maybe this episode would be better if it wasn't making me think of better time travel stories. Maybe it would be better if it wasn't a time travel story. It's such an unnecessary element. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, Phoebe runs off into the kitchen and drags Piper with her so that she can be like, it turns out that the value of this woman is that she's pregnant. Okay, I do love that Phoebe pulls Piper into the kitchen and she's like, she's carrying, and Piper's like, a gun? (laughs) I mean... She's carrying is a weird way to phrase that. It is a weird way to say it. Although I just, I, I just saw, um, I just saw someone on the internet talking about their sister being pregnant and referred to her as falling pregnant. Yes. My sister fell pregnant. This was that girl who was the worst person on the face of the planet, right? Today. Yes. The worst person today in the, am I the asshole subreddit? Yes, she's upset because her sister. She was hounding her sister to tell her what gender the baby was and the sister's like it's a girl she just said it to shut her up though so she bought a bunch of girl specific things for the baby even though the sister asked her not to and then got mad when the sister had a boy yep yep that that was what happened and now she refuses to see the sister or the baby because she's the worst person on earth hey i'm saying the sister dodged a bullet with her asshole sister not wanting to see her seriously but Phoebe is on the ball. She's like, okay, got it. Button from the future. He's hunting this woman who is pregnant. He is from the future. I am there. I'm time travel. Ter- I- Terminator 2 came out like last week. She. I'm just saying she jumps on the I understand time travel bus super fast. I'm, I'm excited about it. I mean, for such a middle of the road, possibly leaning towards bad episode... Phoebe is firing on all goddamn cylinders. Yeah. Also, as much as there are obnoxious things in this episode, I think that the forced to tell the truth conceit, while it could be kind of hacky and it could be kind of groan-inducing, is well used in this episode. For instance, in the next scene, where Hannah comes into Prue's office to apologize, and Prue's like, are you really sorry? And Hannah's like, no, I fucking hate you! And then just runs away. Honestly, I wish this actress was in more stuff. She's hilarious in this. Are you saying that you want to watch Swiped? I do not want to watch Swiped. But 
she's so good in this and she would have been so good to become the main villain after her after her boss got killed but no they just did a two-for-one vanquish spoilers for halfway through this season yeah like four or five episodes from now yeah so i don't think rex ever does anything no he doesn't Oh my he's God. useless. He, he's useless. His his female hench person has to do everything for him. Hannah is in Piper's position. Yes! Yes. It's a really good parallel. So now that Hannah has left the office, Prue is alone, and the warlock can murder her now? Yeah, yeah. He, he comes into her office and he's like, hey, I'm from the future. I'm here to kill you. Okay, Prue seriously doesn't recognize the guy who she just stopped from murdering someone earlier that day. She seriously doesn't recognize him. Well, he comes in and he's like, hello, Prue Hollow. And she's like, do we have an appointment? And he's like, I thought it was really late, right? That was the deal. And she's like, whatever, you're here to kill me. And he's like, yeah, I'm here to kill you. I mean, actually, he's there to, I mean, he's going to kill her, but he's there to track down her sister so that he can track down Tanya, but instead of, like, following her to discreet distance to her house, he just tries to kill her. His plan is terrible! Did they send back, like, the worst guy? Yeah, it, it really doesn't seem like they were all that concerned about this, because this guy sucks. And Prue uses the truth thing to find out. She's like, so, what's your deal? And he's like, I'm from the future, and... In the future, they come up with an anti-demon vaccine. I'm sorry, an anti-warlock vaccine. So I'm killing everyone associated with that. And Tanya's baby is the last piece of the puzzle. And Prue's like, oh, neat. And then she telekinetically throws a desk at him. I don't get why she's running away from this dude. Well, I mean, she's not armed or anything. Yeah, I guess. But like, it really seems like she has the upper hand in this situation, even just power-wise. Yeah, I mean, she clearly does. Back at the Hollowell Manor, Phoebe and Piper have realized that the demon's going to come after Prue for some reason. So they need to go save her. Why was Prue working late anyway? She works late every day. That's her deal. It's one of her character traits. So Piper's going to go rescue Prue, but Phoebe refuses to go along because she needs to stay and protect the innocent. She needs to stay and protect Tanya. And she says, you know, we won't always have the power of three. Sometimes you need to just go and, and fight on your own, which would be a culmination of a plot if that had been the plot, right? Yeah, I I don't get that. It seems to come out of nowhere. It absolutely comes out of nowhere. And later in the show, when every demon needs a power of three vanquish, which, again, is one of the weaker parts of the later seasons, that every demon needs a power of three vanquished. Well, I mean, it raises the question, how were demons vanquished before the Hallowell sisters? Well, which... I guess they weren't. I guess that's why there's so many of them. Yeah, and part of the reason it's such a thing in the first uh, few seasons that demons are sealed away in paintings or whatnot until the sisters find them is because Mm. they were... Okay, fair, fair. Although, I do like that all of these witches were just like, you know what? There's going to be three ladies who can take care of this in the future. Let's just do something to make it someone else's problem. That's the charmed one's problem. So, the warlock is chasing Prue around the office, and she 
telekinetically opens the basement door so she can trap herself in the basement. Yep. Yep. You could just leave. Well, I, I think there's a door that leads out. I, she's, I don't think she's in a basement. I think she's in a storage room, and I think there's a door on the other side of the storage room. So she, I don't think she's... I don't think she's got herself cornered. I just... I. She hides in a box? I Actually, don't... you know what? I take that back. I do think she's in a sub-basement. I do think she's gotten herself cornered. How did you get here from your office? Well, she ran down the stairs. We saw her running down the stairs. Just run to the front lobby. I don't, I, I don't get what your thought process was here, Prue. Yeah. I also don't get why you're hiding from this guy. Just telekinetically throw him and keep running. Yeah, yeah. Well, Piper arrives at Prue's office and sees, you know, the desk thrown and everything scattered. So now Piper's looking for Prue to save her. And he's doing, the warlock is doing the menacing walk thing that all demons and warlocks have to do in these situations. It really is the exact same scene as the scene in Wedding from Hell, where the demon bridesmaids are stalking Piper and Phoebe hiding in the, in the wine, wine cellar. cellar. Yeah. And while he's doing this, he's explaining... The vaccine thing again, which you explained in the office, what, what? Well, he's basically saying that he can take care, he's basically saying that he has nine months to track down Tanya, so he doesn't care, and he's gonna kill Prue right now, so he wins? You know what it, it feels like to me? It feels like a less effective, because it doesn't make sense if you think about it for a second, it seems like a less effective version of... The thing with Buffy, where Buffy has to be lucky every time and a vampire only needs to be lucky once. Mm -hmm. It feels like he's trying to say something like that, but it doesn't work. It really doesn't. And he finds her hiding behind a box and she's like, oh no, I ran out of telekinesis points. I don't know. He grabs her by the throat and he like is holding her up and then... Okay, I fucking love Piper in this scene. She's so, like, matter-of-fact. She just, she freezes, she freezes the warlock. She just handily grabs a crowbar off a box, pries his hand off Prue's throat, and she's like, okay, so why don't you use this to stab him to death? And Prue's like, no, you use it to stab him to death. And then he unfreezes, and they both stab him to death. I I like that neither of them wants to do the gross work of actually stabbing him. And then they just do it together. They stab him in the third eye, and then a time worm appears out of nowhere and sucks him up. A time vortex. Yeah, a time vortex comes and sucks him away, and, and Prue comments, I love when they clean up after themselves. Which is all of the time. They all do. Yeah, I don't think we've ever seen the girls have to clean up any messes. I do like in Buffy when sometimes there's just, like, a demon corpse and they have to bury it because not everything is a vampire. Yes. So, now that the demon threat has been eradicated, Prue goes back to Andy's apartment to ask him, in the few minutes that they have left in the spell, if he's thought about it and decided that he's okay with her being a witch. And he's like, okay, well, no, I'm not. I'm not okay with you being a witch. Which, I mean, we've... There's no point in retreading it. We've covered in detail how little sense that makes. Seriously. But he tells her that, and then the time clicks over, and now he forgets everything he said to her in the last 24 hours. And she's like, okay, well, I'm just going to make sad eyes at you and go home then. 
Which, I mean, shouldn't he have more questions? They broke up, like, yesterday, and she's suddenly at his apartment for no reason. I think he remembers that they've had conversations. It's just, like, he can't recall what any of them actually were. I I guess I could see that. She kind of, she kisses him, and then she wanders off into his hallway to be sad by herself. She does the sad Charlie Brown walk away. Poor sad Prue, you can't be with the man of cardboard. You just can't. Meanwhile, Piper has to quit all over again because her boss forgot that she quit. Yes, yes. At Quake, her boss forgot that she quit. It's kind of great because they're just hanging out at Quake, uh, Phoebe and Piper, and Phoebe notes how much the service has gone down since Piper stopped doing everything there. Also, it's funny that Piper apparently forgot that Martin was going to remember that she quit, but still decided to go have dinner there. She's like, I just quit here this afternoon, and it's where I'm going to go have dinner tonight. But Martin comes and yells at her to get in the kitchen and get to work, and she goes back and tells him, no, you're an asshole, and I'm not going to do this, and you're going to actually hire somebody to manage the restaurant, actually hire someone to do front of house, and I will cook, since that's the job that you hired me for. And then, ugh, he does that asshole guy thing where he's like, well, why didn't you just say so? And, oh, they never found his body. Oh, hate him. Hate him so much. So she's still working there then, right? Or, yeah, so she's now she's just the chef. Honestly, the show put this plot line in so we would stop saying, what is Piper's job at Quake? Yeah. Uh, this whole thing. I, I, I'm aware that this, uh, or I'm given to understand that this is something women have to deal with in the workplace. I mean, it's cartoonish. It's over the top. Yeah. So she bumps into Leo... And Leo doesn't remember the fact that they made out. Okay, that's not a truth thing. He should remember that they made out. Well, she asked him if she if he wanted to make out. And he's like, yeah. So I guess it's covered under the umbrella of things that came about because of the truth spell. Well, actually, if I can throw a Xander as a hyena thing in here. Oh. Leo's uh, a white lighter. He almost certainly remembers everything anyway. Because I'm... I bet that doesn't work on him, which means that he's just flat out lying about not remembering. He's like, shit, what would a mortal guy remember in this situation? Nothing, right? Like, Also, remember, he's not supposed to be making out with Piper, so he's probably like, no, I definitely don't remember putting my tongue down your throat. Can't get in trouble if I'm lying to the supreme beings of the universe about this sort of thing. I mean, that is how he seems to function. I, I I can't wait until we fall into the regular pattern with Leo. It's been really interesting seeing the girls not have to rely on Leo to the insane degree they will rely on him in the future of this show. Yeah, just having him be like background eye candy instead. It's neat. Yeah. So... Last conversation, Prue sits down with Phoebe and tells her that, you know, she cast the spell and even though she didn't get the answer she wanted, she's glad she did it because now she knows the truth and the truth is that she can't be with Andy. And then we sadly drift into credits. Boy, talking about this episode did it no favors. I, yeah, I, 
I definitely came out of this episode liking it less than I did when we were watching it. But, again, when we were watching it, I felt like this was a middle-of-the-road episode. I didn't have any serious issues with it one way or the other. Yeah, so just don't don't worry about what the warlock's plan is, and just enjoy the comedy that comes with the truth spell. That's, that's the way to watch this episode. And, again, it's a great episode for Phoebe. Yes. And you know what? We're going to reach a point where Phoebe's not going to get a lot of good episodes, so we should enjoy them while we have them. Yes. Speaking of Phoebe... I think it's about time for us to awaken our own power of three. Ooh, are, you mean our segments? Yes, our segments. For our first segment, Premonitions, we look into the future and see which of these actors will become famous or noteworthy. And the answer is, much like Phoebe in certain episodes, there are no premonitions this episode. Okay, Phoebe has premonitions. She has premonitions of the warlock sending his eye lasers into people. I meant, like, I meant in some episodes Phoebe has no premonitions. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, so actually, this, is, this isn't a real one, but I just wanted to say it anyway so that we would have something to say in this segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the warlock. Yes. Uh, is played by a man named Brad Greenquist, and he has... 99 credited roles on IMDb. Wow. And he has played the bad guy in every, in a single episode of every procedural that has ever existed. So if he looks familiar to you, it is almost certainly because you saw him being a one-shot bad guy on Bones, or a one-shot bad guy on ER, or a one-shot bad guy on Grimm, or a one-shot bad guy on The Lone Ranger, or a one-shot bad guy on Ringer, the Sarah Michelle Gellar series where she played herself and her own evil twin. Or on, quite possibly, the best show ever, CSI Miami. I just... Yeah, because I I definitely recognize this guy. He's been in everything as a one-shot bad guy. And this episode was big for people who looked kind of like other famous people. Yeah, whereas he just had kind of a huh, I've seen him somewhere before face, which is a little different, but yes. yeah. So, I guess that slight premonition aside, I guess that would be one of Phoebe's less useful ones. I guess it's not so much a premonition, it's just like a vague feeling that there's something you're forgetting. Uh, that will take us to our next power, Time Freeze. What specifically dates this episode? Oh, I've got one. Is it? The pager? It's not the pager. Okay, because mine was definitely the pager. Okay, mine was something that we didn't note when it happened in the episode. Mm-hmm. But Phoebe borrows the laptop from Prue. Mm-hmm. And then the next morning when they're having their kitchen scene, she says to Prue, don't get mad when you see the phone bill. I was on the internet all night last night. Oh. Yes, yes, because you used to have to dial into the internet. And you used to, depending on your plan, pay per minute to be online. God, I can't imagine how expensive that must have been. Ugh. Well, sometimes, so, well, depending on your service, some people had unlimited internet. And it was, like, quite the thing. I just dial up speeds if you were paying 
by the minute for dial-up speeds. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. And remember, you weren't, like, on the internet. You were going through AOL or Prodigy. God, only the ten richest kings of Europe could afford that. <laughs> oh, oh. Late 90s, early 2000s internet. I do not miss you. But that brings us to the last power in our pack. The uh, telekinesis. What genuinely moved you this episode, if anything? Um, honestly, I was genuinely moved in the scene where Piper saves Prue. That was pretty great. It was, it was kind of a silly scene, but also it was one of the ones that rang truest to me as being sisterly. Again, I feel like this was a episode full of great moments with Phoebe. Uh-huh. I especially love the direct action she takes when she's saving Tanya from... God, why did they not give their warlock a name? Okay, so we said that they actually did. His name is Gavin. Really? According to IMDb. Uh, okay. When she's saving Tanya from Gavin, I do love that Prue went to get guys and she just smashed him over the head with the first thing she found. It, it's something we've been seeing a lot from Phoebe. Uh, last episode, she smashes the mirror after they threw... Uh, what's her bucket into it? Yeah, Phoebe takes charge. Yeah, and it's really good to see that, especially because we didn't mention it as soon as... Honestly, it's something I really liked in this episode, too. As soon as Phoebe found out about the truth-telling spell, she asked Prue what Prue's real thoughts on her were. And Prue's like, well, I think that you've got a lot of passion and you've got a lot of drive, but unfortunately... You don't have any direction, and that's the one thing that's going to hold you back for the rest of your life is your complete lack of purpose. Well, Phoebe is recklessly brave, and I think that that's that's admirable. She's gone from reckless to recklessly brave. Yeah, and she's very willing to throw herself into danger, even though she doesn't have an active power. Yeah. And I, I just think that this episode built more on that with her going without backup and especially kind of followed up later when she tells piper to go after prue alone that she needed that she needs to protect tanya by herself even if she doesn't have the ability yeah yeah we're seeing we're seeing phoebe become much more of an adult although here adult means like being a witch coming into her powers but yeah yeah, yeah absolutely so Next week's episode is The Witch is Back. Mm. And the Netflix description is, After Rex gets Prue a locket that harbors the evil warlock Matthew, Matthew takes Prue's powers and sets out for the other sisters. Matthew is a terrible name for a villain. Morlock. They're better. (laughs) Yeah. So that'll be, I said next week, so that'll be in two weeks. Yes. Uh, so I guess that will about do it. I guess I guess that will. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of our supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, and Benjamin. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. 
If you want to talk about this episode or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Hallowell Manor. Mm-hmm.